Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to the MBN Entrepreneurship and Leadership Channel. As well as new content, we are making available selected podcasts recorded by our hosts prior to joining the MBN family. This is one of them, and so this podcast may refer to itself with a different name and identity. Enjoy the show. The center of innovation is here, and you know this is part of the message of Project Cashmere of this whole whole podcast that there's something happening here which is beyond just good value for money. Like I said, having the vision is great, but the key is these concrete initiatives that drive it at the ground level. I, I really like uh, the idea of, of starting something really small with a small group of highly focused people and with an original idea and just, just take on the world, basically. You know, Poland is the land of opportunity, and I, and I like to say the East is the new West because you always used to go West in history to find more adventure and danger and prove yourself. There are some good things beginning to happen here in Krakow, but we've got a very long way to go, haven't we? Hi, it's Sam Cook, the founder and co-host of Project Kajimej. Welcome back to another episode of Project Kajimej. Today's interview is a special introduction to season two. Uh, Richard and I are calling it a Project Kajimej. And the reason we're calling it season two is we have had a little bit of a break between the first 20 episodes. And there's a good reason for that, which is um, I was uh, in the midst of a very uh, stressful and uh, long hours project last year, a startup that I'd uh, founded, a Triathlon Research, and uh, wasn't quite able to make it successful. And I had to take some time off to try and uh, salvage and save the business, uh, which actually didn't happen. So today's show, we're going to actually discuss that, Richard and I, and introduce what's coming up in the next season. We've got a lot more planned for Project Kajimesh's season. We're very excited to introduce it, and uh, I hope that you enjoy today's show. For complete show notes and transcript of this episode, as well as links to the resources mentioned in today's show, please go to projectkazimierz.com. If you're not a native Polish speaker, that is spelled project, K-A-Z-I-M-I-E-R-Z.com, or just type something like that in Google, and I'm sure you'll find it. You can also sign up for our weekly newsletter, which we use to announce new shows and send out great information about the Polish and Central Eastern European tech startup scene. Also, don't forget to go to our Facebook page and like us so you can get other articles and information that we share there. Before we go into today's show, we have a few messages from our sponsors. These are really more community service announcements for the startup ecosystem. All the companies that sponsor the show are ones that I have picked and approached because I believe in them and their mission to help build what I believe is the coming digital gold rush that is happening in Central Eastern Europe, centered and headquartered in Poland. If you think you have something that will be useful to this community that we can put out on the show, please feel free to go to projectkazimierz.com and drop us a note and we'll consider your request. This episode is brought to you by Innovation Nest. Innovation Nest's mission is to create global technology companies from Poland and Europe that can reach the international English-speaking market. Innovation Nest runs an acceleration program with Google Campus Warsaw and has a number of companies in its portfolio that have gone on to get Silicon Valley funding. The latest success story was the Beacon Company, Estimote, which just received $10.7 million in Venture Series A funding. Innovation Nest focuses on the early stage startup companies in business-to-business software as a service. 
Innovation Nest was founded by Piotr Willem, who in the 1990s, during the early days of the internet, founded Onet, an online publishing portal, took it public on the stock exchange, and sold the company. Innovation Nest runs a series of conferences called SaaS Meetups in Krakow and Warsaw, which any European-based startup is welcome to sign up for and attend. If you're a European-based startup seeking investment in the B2B software as a service space, visit the website innovationnest.co to see when the next seminar is. If you're an investor interested in investing in the European startup scene, there's no better place to put your money than Innovation Nest. Poland is really turning into the next Silicon Valley of Europe with its wealth of engineering talent, great startup community, and now great facilitators like Innovation Nest. Innovation Nest does the best due diligence and mentoring I have seen in the tech startup community in Poland. Go to the Innovation Nest website and contact them to set up a meeting. This episode is brought to you by Google Campus in Warsaw. Google Campus is part of a network of six worldwide campuses all over the world run by Google for Entrepreneurs, headquartered at the main office in its Mountain View headquarters in Silicon Valley. The Warsaw campus is one of only six other campuses in the world, and it is covering the entire Central and Eastern European region as a regional hub for innovation. When you become a member of Google Campus, you have access to their free cafe and event space, where there are usually one to two educational or networking events held daily, including a chance to interact with the Poland Google staff in Warsaw. You can also apply to join their part or full-time co-working space and startup accelerator programs they're doing in partnership with Innovation Nest Venture Capital Fund based in Krakow, Poland. You also have a free membership to all six Google campuses across the world, based in London, England, Sao Paulo, Brazil, Seoul, South Korea, Tel Aviv in Israel, and Madrid in Spain. Google Campus would like to encourage you to visit their website, campus.co forward slash Warsaw, or you can just type it into Google, I'm sure they'll help you find it, and register to become a member today. Campus Exchange Central and Eastern European Edition, brought to you by Google Campus in Warsaw, is also putting on a five-day immersion program designed to support the global expansion of startups in Central and Eastern Europe. To help you expand your business, Google Campus will be providing you teams with tools for market research and export, mentoring with industry leaders, innovation workshops, and invaluable connections. Criteria to apply includes your startup must be based in Central and Eastern European region, your tech product must be launched, have market traction with customer feedback, and getting ready for a global debut. Two attending founding members must also be able to attend the full program, the next one starting in June of 2016. And finally, founders should be proficient in English. If you're a startup in Central and Eastern Europe poised to take your business international and want to boost from your friends at Google, Campus, and Warsaw, apply today to join this event. Go to campus.co forward slash Warsaw. Or again, just Google Campus Warsaw. I'm sure it will come up first in the search results. Google runs these programs periodically throughout its time. As you're listening to this, the next one uh, at the time of this recording will be held in the summer of 2016. But if it's past that, please go to the Google Campus website to find the next event. Hello again, Project Kaiser Measure listener. This is Sam Cook again, back here with another episode uh, after a little bit of a break uh, with my co-host uh, Richard Lucas. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. If it's afternoon when you're listening, <laughs> and Richard, with with your trademark intro, we're we're actually doing something a little bit um, different today. We're starting a, another season, as we call it. We we just realized we're on uh, twenty uh, episodes of Project Kajimej and. Um, we think it's a great time to look back, see how the first uh, 
uh, six months have gone. Boy, we've, we've been at it uh, here already six months and uh, just kind of review um, how the first season went, where we're at, and where we want to take things. And the, the other thing, uh, speaking of starting a new season, we're also going to talk about uh, a topic called starting over, which is uh, part of the entrepreneurial journey. And uh, we'll go into that in a little while where we'll all be talking about uh, some of my experiences recently in uh, starting over. And um, we'll, uh, we'll get started here. So Richard, um, reviewing here the uh, first episode or first season of Project Kajimej, we have um, over 12,000 downloads um, of, the, of the show. We've, we have listeners in over 60 different countries. Um, uh, tell me, what are your uh, what are your reflections on the on the first uh, first twenty episodes or, the, or first nineteen episodes leading into this? What do you what do you think you've learned about podcasting in general and the ecosystem here uh, in Krakow, Poland, and Central Europe? Okay, well, you've asked several questions <laughs> at, uh, at once, and as everyone who's done podcasting tells you, it's like blogging. It's you have to be disciplined. You have to keep up the keep up the production. It's much easier to start if you go into iTunes and you look. There are many many interesting podcasts that like fade out fade out after four or five four or five issues. So uh, or editions. So what one is the discipline? We're just keeping ahead of the curve, but we need to we need to keep our uh, keep our, ourselves focused to get another another set. Um, so that's one thing about about the local community. I would say that. Um, it, some of the people who you think are going to be easy to get turn out to be quite inaccessible, and other people who you think might be, you might be uh, too important or busy, turns out with the backup of their PR people uh, are very, very willing. It's been interesting dealing with some of the PR people that they have this is Polish German tradition of allowing the people you interview, interview to authorize their authorize their their interview, which is completely alien to the British American journalistic <laughs> culture, where where it's almost unethical. It's like you feel you're letting someone censor you. So we've had, we've once or twice had to do that. Um, I've also found it is it's enjoyable though. What one very satisfying thing was when some an employee or two of Brainly told me that our our interview with their their CEO. I mean, Bukowski, they learned more about him as a leader than they learned day to day because they don't get him for an hour talking at length about his his approach to the business. So sometimes it's been extremely satisfying to get that, like to do to do things for the people we're interviewing as well as for the for the community and helping their communication with the wider world. Yeah, one of the thing that that struck me, you know, the community a lot better is. Um, just the depth of the depth of knowledge here in a lot of different um, a lot of different areas from Wojciech Burkhardt and and uh, Ramon Tancino at the at the uh, multinational level and uh, Wojciech used to be in Google and Piotr Willem and all the different people we've spoken to. Um, I've just been really impressed about the the overall ecosystem and, and what's developing here. And we've been seeing that unfold over the last uh, six months, even as the show's been going. Yeah, I think also we've sort of like, we've worked out our kind of sort of checklist of what, what, what you have to be doing to get in, to get on the show. That there are, you know, either, as with TED, TED and TEDx talks, either the person's got a spectacularly interesting idea or project, but like if they're important locally, they've done something significantly locally here in the Kashmir's Krakow region, then that's a definite tick. If they're doing something pretty impressive out in Poland, 
Scotland as a whole. For example, we haven't yet put Ralph Talman from TEDx Warsaw on, but or, or the podcasters with the digital loop, they're doing something significant. That's there's a slightly higher threshold. And from the rest of the world, that should either be a Poland connection or something really impressive. So with Will Will Bunker or with Peter Cowley, Angel Investor of the Year, then then that's that's quite that's quite something. But it's also it's a great excuse to talk to people. It's about you know if you're interested in someone, it's on my list of things that I find someone interesting or they've got a cool story it's like well maybe maybe subject to my my co-host Sam's agreement I don't automatically maybe we can put you on the show and of course Sam has exactly the same experience don't you yeah I I think podcasting is uh, an excuse to talk to people for longer than you really have uh, usually in your schedule to talk to them and uh, it's kind of a forcing mechanism to get people to um, focus, uh, which is, I think, a rare commodity, a, a precious commodity in the digital age here is, is someone's time and their focus on their thoughts and background and uh, experiences. Yeah, we've also learned, I mean, it was very interesting for me that you have this sense of slightly pushing beyond what's normal, that YouTube is very well known in Poland and people understand digital media, but because of the Polish language being Right, a minority language. Podcasting just isn't that big in Poland yet. So I, I have, the, you know, I get a lot of my information from podcasts when I'm driving, when I'm cooking, when I'm in the bath. Even when I'm reading, I'll have a podcast on in the background. And when I'm going to sleep, I'll usually have some digital podcast on. And you know, that's not an experience that many Polish people have because they're not. There's, and so it's very. And because it's about the local community, you get a lot of people who start listening to our podcast because it's about their local, someone they know, and then. They say, "Hey, oh, podcasting! That's that's interesting." And then they discover this incredible resource that that is there. It's like the sort of the encyclopedia or library of podcasts is huge. Yeah, I've had a couple friends here in Poland who I've downloaded the podcasting app for, and, and now they're hooked on many different things uh, beyond this show. Um, and it, it's been really interesting. So, looking ahead to season two, uh, Richard, we're we're going to, I guess, call seasons twenty episodes and. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, this is this is a time that that we've taken due to my recent travels and some business things I've had going on to take a little bit of a break and we're about to reset and start on a, on a new uh, season. What do we want to do differently, better, or change going forward? Well, I think one thing is that we've slightly been winning, winning and we're both in different ways quite experienced in different walks of life and. We both read The Economist and they're sort of well up to well up to speed with what's going on in the world. But I think p- perhaps we need to do more to brief our interviewees about our expectations that, you know, sometimes uh, sometimes there's this sort of, um, sometimes it's not an issue, but sometimes I think we could, we could do better. Um, I, I've, I'm updating my show note process that while I'm doing it, I, I find, I think the show notes are very useful and if we're referring to TED Talks or organizations or movements or, or other podcasts it's, it's a good idea to to do that um probably we need to get better at sourcing sourcing talks uh, sourcing interviewees that you know we're relying on our personal network but you know <laughs> we'll run out one of these days <laughs> any, anyone out there listening who who thinks there's a really interesting person with an interesting project actually later this uh, later today on the 24th of october uh, 2015 if you're listening thousands of years in the future um, today we're having a, a I think possibly a world first a, a speaker researcher thon for TEDx Kashmir because I've since we were last on air 
or on, the, on, on digital or whatever it is when you're on the internet, um, if you're listening over cable, uh, we've got the license renewed for TEDx Kashmir, which we'll be doing in 2016. So we're also developing a methodology to, of how to source great people, projects and ideas for, for TEDx Kashmir. And of course, that's a very similar type of objective um, to Project Kashmir, although with Project Kashmir, our general focus is entrepreneurship, technology and business more than other walks of life, but perhaps that's something we can consider, Sam. Do you think we should broaden our target group or stick to those core? I don't know. I'd, I'd love to hear the comments from listeners. So if, if you're listening to this, uh, please do uh, send us some comments and, and let us know. But for me, I think um, you know, technology and innovation is, is a way to solve problems in people's lives, and I think there's a broad array of problems people have. So I know that... Uh, Someone we know who works, who'd worked on TEDx, Anya Bivanis, just came out with a, a new art project and, and a website. So I guess as long as it's digital and on a website and uh, uh, doing something to solve people's problems, we're interested in it. That's true. I was being interviewed by a local, a new newspaper, sort of a guy called um, Romanovsky, uh, and he um, is called What's Up, and it's a kind of magazine focused on technology startups and also the business process outsourcing shared services movement, which is huge here in in, in Krakow. And he was saying, you know, what's what he want? He, he was asking me whether we're just focused on you know, traditional students, like um, you know, when I say traditional, the kind of students who come to our events tend to be tend to be uh, engineers, programmers techie guys or sometimes lawyers or economists and I was saying well actually technology talk touches every walk of life so we're really interested in teachers, in doctors, in geographers, in artists, in sociologists because everyone, everyone is being potentially impacted by the, the, the technological revolution that's going on around us, the move to mobile, pervasive broadband everywhere and location-based computing and you know, you can't be a good teacher if you don't understand the impact of technology on your on your on your potential to deliver a better service. For example, the technology is definitely uh, like dominoes, touching every industry uh, and, and transforming it. And eventually, I think it will hit some really big ones like po politics and everything else that's going along. Mm. So, yeah, I don't think we'll limit ourselves. In fact, it would probably be good to to broaden some of our topics. Yeah. Uh, in the show. Yeah, the theme, the theme of TEDx Kashmir next year is transformation, which is basically a before and after story, like where were you before, whatever it is that you did or you thought or your project, and how did it what did it transform in your life as the person giving the talk, or more importantly in the, in the lives of the, the target beneficiaries of your, of, your, of your activity or project. So I, I would say if someone's doing something amazing, interesting, spectacular, mind-blowing, awesome, scalable, disruptive, to use a few Silicon Valley buzzwords, you know, we are interested, so please suggest them to us via our, via our webpage or on our social media. Yeah, and one of the things that we'll be doing, and we'll talk about this in a minute, Richard, is I'm, I'm going to focus a little bit more of, of my time on Project Kajimaj to get some more things out there, possibly some articles and other things, um, and increase our presence on social media to make sure that people see... Uh, the next episodes, but also uh, get some other ideas from us. And one of the things uh, I'm excited about with another TEDx coming up, congratulations, is uh, speaking to all those speakers that you're going to be sourcing. <laughs> so we should have a good lineup of people to talk to. For sure, for sure. I mean, we, we already interviewed uh, 
amongst other people, Jonathan Hornstein, who uh, spoke at TEDx Kashmir, the leader of the Jewish Community Center. Great interview. He spoke on stage with uh, Robert Desmond about the, the the March for the Living, sort of celebrating the progress, underlying the fact that you know Poland and Krakow is one of the only countries in Europe where things are getting better for here. Um, then on, on top of that, we had my brother Edward Lucas. Um, we'll be trying to get MC Silk, the the multilingual uh, YouTube viral rapper, fastest rapper in the world, because he was he wasn't well enough. I'll certainly be going back to him. I'm very excited that we signed our first speaker for next year, Michal Kulik, who's setting up a magic community, um, uh, like the community for illusionists. We had. Uh, um, we were brainstorming different, apart from the sheer entertainment, there are the issues of magic on the street, how, how the entrepreneurial side of magic, possibly getting magic into prisons, because uh, there are wonderful TEDx talks about teaching prisoners about entrepreneurship, but if you imagine someone stuck in jail for a number of years, what would be better than to give them a time-consuming hobby that they can focus on and feel a sense of progress when many things are going wrong around them? Um, so yes, you know, clearly, clearly, the people we want to interview for Project Kashmir might be suitable for the TEDx Kashmir stage, and vice versa. Yeah, well, looking forward to uh, seeing that, and uh, it's going to be good to to get started on another episode with you. I'm looking forward to all these interviews. So, uh, the next next topic I'd like to go over today is uh, just the topic of starting over and uh, why it's important. And I I know that a lot of our listeners are are entrepreneurs and. Um, I have a, an interesting um, last month and a half, two months of my business where I have to uh, make the tough decision to shut my business down and, and start it, well, basically start over on a new project, um, which uh, has been has been pretty hard. And I think one of the things that um, Silicon Valley talks about, this culture of fail fast and, and failure and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, just kind of going over that with you, Richard, a little sharing a little bit of, of my story and obviously getting your great insightful questions and commentary, uh, hopefully to benefit the listeners uh, in the Krakow and, and Polish startup community, because I think that, um, you know, one of my goals out of all this is to uh, make an example of uh, hopefully how to handle failure, because uh, it's definitely easy to say and, and quite hard to do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when, when someone was asking me what what went wrong in your business, Sam, I said, well, I, I don't know if the full details, but almost all business failure at, at some stage is to do with revenues being below costs. Um, you know, it's very, very, very simple. But, you know, maybe, I, th I think in just a few telegraphic sentences, if you could give the, you, I know you sent a couple of emails, but no, not all of our listeners will have seen those emails. If you could just in a few sentences describe you know, the key things that went wrong, perhaps put some extra detail behind the, you know, <laughs> the revenues were below cost. <laughs> well, Richard, one, one of the, the things um, I, I realized looking back, I was doing a TEDx talk for, for TEDx Kajimej, and, and I remember before I got on stage, I had this nagging feeling that the subject of my talk was almost, almost true, but not quite true, meaning... Um, I was talking about how to choose what you're doing, what you really want to do in life, but I, I, was, I was talking about how I'd gotten there, and I really hadn't because I was talking about Project Kazimierz being more along the lines of what I want to do, which is definitely what I want to do, which is be in pu digital publishing, but um, I was spending almost all of my time and energy at that point on another business that I'd already set up, and that was a triathlon uh, 
Research, which uh, was a company I set up a couple years ago, uh, born out of my consulting work for top triathlon coaches. And at the time, I was uh, deeply into the world of triathlon myself and have since quit the sport, but continued working for triathlon coaches and pro athletes in the sport. And I'd set up a consulting <clears throat> company and then realized that I had the, a huge ability to sell and 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 at a done well in the in the industry but didn't um didn't have the best business model because I was working as a consultant and getting paid on performance. And while I found that my clients did really well based off of my performance, I was spending all the money I got paid on um, getting that higher performance, trying to break out. And what I realized was when you when you work for someone else on a performance basis, it sounds great in theory, but it's not always great. So I decided, well, I, I've shown the ability to grow revenues a lot for other people. Why not flip the tables and publish? Um, publish triathletes and pay them out rather than, um, you know, get higher percentages. So long story short, I'd been working on that business model for a while and had figured out how to sell, uh, of all things, I'd, I'd figured out how to sell a five to $10,000 uh, triathlon camp um, and had done a really good job selling them, uh, but had not gotten costs below revenues, as you say, and was, um, was really trying to get to the point where um, I was going to do the online publishing, selling the videos of the camps, which is where I believed the real profit was because that was my experience before I started the business. Um, I had some real, when I moved to Krakow, my revenues exploded. They actually went way up due to the quality of the Polish workforce here, my ability to... Could you, could you give some uh, sort of scoping numbers, like for an event you're organizing, what was the lower range of revenues and the higher range of revenues? Well, the, well, the lower range of revenues was around 100,000 USD. Um, that that well, I did a, my first camp, we made 80,000 USD. The second camp... Uh, 180,000, and this then is this is revenue, not, not revenue. Yeah, not not in profit sales. And then uh, the camps that I ran this year uh, went up to 250 to 300,000 USD in revenue. Um, very high expenses um, associated with that revenue, and and actually a lot of the expenses were the sales and marketing. They were profitable. Um, Overall, but not when you included the, the the sales and marketing cost, which is really where it counts. Um, yeah, I, re I remember when you were explaining explaining how the business worked. I was thinking, you know, a lot of people think that they they might understand how to use social media to to sell specific very niche products and what could be more niche than a $5,000 camp where you meet Olympic gold medalists in your favorite sport. Um, and, you know, with the podcast, because there's a podcast associated with, yep. with, with, with triathlon research. And, and, you know, Sam was actually doing it with a team he'd put together. He did have a, a prior team, but he centralized the team here on, on professionals here in Poland. And, you know, the... the so if anyone listening is needs advice and consulting, I would imagine there would be a price <laughs> at which Sam would swap work for money, uh, particularly just after a business has gone pear-shaped. Um, but the but the but what, do you think with hindsight, one of the important things when things don't work out is to try and um, learn lessons and. 
do you think you could have brought the cost of your events down without compromising on quality? I, I'm, as some of the listeners, I'm sure know I do the open coffee events where I make a real point of doing it at a low budget on the grounds that quality and cost don't always go hand in hand. But I know in the example of the podcast, Sam always said, no, no, we have to have the sound engineers. <laughs> we have to keep the quality up. In the, and you know, maybe maybe were the, was the quality too high? Could you, have, could you have done it cheaper and stayed in business? I think you pointed out one of my um, weaknesses in business is trying to make uh, quality higher than um, necessarily can be afforded, and that's just because of my um, probably my perfectionism and demand for. Um, but yes, looking back, I do think I could have made the camps that we ran more profitable uh, by driving a better deal um, on some fronts with with different people who I think were generously compensated, um, and also. Uh, over time, I learned how to get the cost of sales and marketing down, which I don't know, looking back, um, how I would have done that quicker, aside from just maybe learning quicker and, and maybe paying more attention to it. But uh, I didn't have many hours left in the day as I was working pretty hard. So, But yeah, I mean, long, long story short, we did about one point uh, in the business total in the last 16 months, $1.5 million in, in revenue USD, um, but the profits weren't there. The camps weren't profitable when you included the sales and marketing costs. Uh, and when I realized a couple months ago that the digital video launches that we had done this summer uh, had not worked out, I knew that the business model was in trouble because the whole time I was running the camps, filming them to get the content so that I could do something that I'd done before very successfully. Actually, two or three times I'd successfully launched uh, successful video products for other people and thought I could do it for myself. And um, the, the two that we launched this summer, the, the quality of the content or maybe the marketing funnel or whatever it was, uh, just didn't take off quick enough in time. And we just kind of ran out of runway, um, the ability to cover expenses. And um, at that point, I went on a trip, not, not unsolicited actually, some people from the United States had, had expressed some strong interest in, in investing in the business that I'd started based on their impressive uh, uh, views they had of the company, the brand. Um, and I went on a whirlwind trip to New York City, uh, Florida, and Silicon Valley to meet with uh, potential investors. And then finally went and ran our, our last camp in Hawaii. Um, and ironically, the the what I learned talking to um, people in New York City and Silicon Valley was uh, New York City's old money. They don't understand tech that well. Um, and it's they invest in every other industry in the United States aside from tech, although I hear that's changing. There are some VC shops opening up in New York City. And then in Silicon Valley, I managed to get in front of some triathletes who were also VC people. Um, and what I learned in Silicon Valley is if you're not doing software as a service, um, you're not doing something that is very, very scalable and rapid rapid revenue growth, hockey stick type growth, uh, VCs are probably going to pass on it and um, take, some, uh, uh, take some other opportunity where they see that ability. And then finally, I realized after my time in Silicon Valley that the best investor would be someone who 
absolutely understood the product, knew the, knew the, the sport in and out, um, and it was more of a passion play with, with the ability to have an upside. Um, and I ran into those investors, which I wasn't even necessarily expecting. I ran into some potential investors in Hawaii who took our camp because it was an expensive camp. They'd spent a lot of money to get there. Um, I was able to talk to some businessmen who took the camp and came really, really close, excruciatingly close to getting one of them to actually buy a majority share in the business, uh, capitalize it the way I knew it needed to be run, and, and I could have continued as a minority partner and a um, the digital agency for that that business. But you know, a few days ago, I, I finally uh, got the word, or lack of word from him with the deadline I'd set, that he was going to pass on the investment. So... Okay, well, maybe, maybe I'll sort of like try and draw out a few lessons. That one, one thing is like the time to raise money is when you don't desperately need it. Right? Um, like, <laughs> yes. Uh, it's very stressful. And I, I, people, I, I don't think I ever found the source of this statement that 80, 90% of communication is nonverbal. But clearly, you know, people sense and can smell when someone needs a deal badly, and it can be a sales tactic can be not one I recommend to <laughs> yeah. make people feel sympathy but or or sorry for you or whatever but it's is not the time to be looking is when is one thing. The second is like if you if you know how much capital you've got and you're 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 starting a business, you need to really, really be careful about parking the issue of the business model on future future products that like generally generally you want to get something that's cash generative as quickly as possible and I see a lot of businesses including some I've invested in and which have failed where you know the idea we're gonna we're gonna do this for now to get popular and then we're gonna do that and it's gonna be possible. You need to be sure that the that is gonna be uh, is gonna really be profitable and the sooner you can start doing the thing that's gonna be making you money going forward the better. I I do believe that there is money in events and if there's any Anyone listening who's got a big community of some kind of, be it magicians or be it, you know, when I was in Tenons in New York, where my two of my kids are magicians, and so whenever we go travelling, we end up in the magic shops. Yeah, Adam Rosenfeld, the the the, the owner of the the business, told me that they had they had 250 school kids, teenagers going off for a man, uh, going off for a magic camp, paying more than a thousand bucks a head. I hope that wasn't confidential. Adam. <laughs> it was. I don't think I signed anything, but but you know that's three hundred and fifty thousand dollars for a camp, not at the sort of budget Sam was doing. But it gives you a sense that you know doing a well-organized event can be such a win-win because you know we live in a world where increasingly the, the entertainment and education are blurred. You know you call it edutainment that people actually will get more out of putting their time and money into something which improves themselves rather than just lying by a beach and reading a, reading a novel where someone else is having an exciting life. <laughs> so so I, w- I would say that the business model and cash generation as early as possible uh, and, you know, when you're raising money, do it do it when things are going well, not, not, <laughs> not when things are going badly. Yeah, and, and that's the thing that... Um, Two two other things. One of the things I could have I could have saved money on events, and the other thing I did was, and I, I regret this um, in terms of um, you know I, I believe you should operate in, in life with no regrets in terms of lessons. But looking back, how, how would I have done it differently, or will I do it differently in the in the uh, going forward? Is when you have a big 
revenue spike going from 50,000 a month to 180,000 a month, uh, give it a few months before you realize that that's the new normal, which I expected it to be. Um, and that 180,000 was a, was a dramatic jump up, but it, it, it didn't stay there. And making staffing decisions and other things um, based on that was probably another big mistake. Although all the investments I made in the staff here in Krakow were to build the digital product, which is something that I felt was going to be the big breakout of the company, and it, it didn't work out, uh, at least in time. We had some promising signs on it, but it, it wasn't there in time. And um, So, yeah, I, th I think building up a, a reserve, develop the worst-case scenario, um, you know, and, and, and just being cautious uh, is, is, a, is a classic, uh, I think, principle of any business, not just a, a startup. And um, those are some of the lessons I will, I will definitely take forward. And, and uh, um, you know, dealing with that, um, you know, the fallout from it is definitely, um, you know, something that uh, is, is one of the bigger lessons, too, is, is, is um, you know, the 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 impact of, of poor decisions when you have to shut down a business can be, you know, you have to deal with it. This episode is brought to you by James Cook Media. I founded James Cook Media when I moved to Poland. James Cook Media is a full-service digital marketing and sales agency. Our mission is to bring world-class products to the global English-speaking market. The thing that I've noticed in Poland is how many amazing, talented companies there are building great products and they're struggling to get traction in the international English-speaking market. I think that's a shame, and I want to help these companies get their products to the market. Silicon Valley parlance, you would call us growth hackers. My team of specialists that I've trained from the beginning here in Poland builds from scratch custom marketing funnels. This includes ideal customer visualization and profiling, complete branding, visual identity, videos, music, uh, website and landing page copywriting, landing page and website design, marketing video commercials, sales videos, testimonial videos, as well as custom written music podcast productions like this one, content marketing, search engine optimization, website optimization, and paid media traffic campaign design management, as well as optimization, including Facebook ads, Google ads, YouTube ads, LinkedIn ads, Pinterest ads, and Instagram ads. So that's a lot. But I've been doing marketing online now for over 10 years in multiple industries from e-commerce to tourism to software as a service, digital publishing, money transfer apps, and online sports marketing. Over the course of this time, I founded two separate companies as well as worked for loads of clients all over the world. And I had to learn every part of online marketing. I came to Poland to build my own in-house marketing team for my last business. And I'll tell you that the talent here is absolutely world-class, as good as any marketing talent you would find in New York City. I personally design my campaigns, write the copy, direct the videos, do the setup with the project manager and a full-time team of specialists of designers, developers, ad managers, and optimizers to fully manage from start to finish your marketing so you can focus on your product and your business. If you think you'd like to learn more about my company and what we may be able to do for you, go to jamescook.pl and enter your information. You will also find information about meetups that I'm running with Ava Vysotska of Good Tribe Consulting, where you can learn all about the latest in marketing strategy and techniques. Even when I work with clients, I make sure that they completely understand my marketing philosophy and strategy so that they can have buy-in and ownership of it. Because as a business owner, you always need to completely own your strategy for getting your product to market. But we help you do it. 
If you're a startup or an investor from outside of Poland and you're interested in visiting Krakow and Warsaw's startup scene in Poland or even moving here to set up your team, James Cook Media also offers high-level concierge services to help companies get set up here. I moved to Poland because I believe East is the new West. For 400 years, brave, intrepid entrepreneurs have been going West to the U.S. and the American West for prospecting. Now San Francisco and California is so overpriced and so expensive. The new digital gold rush, as I call it, where you can get the most value for your money in terms of investment is here in Eastern Europe, where you have world-class engineering talent, designers, video makers, artists, graphic artists, and marketers. You can do New York City agency or San Francisco level coding work for a very competitive price. If you're interested to learn more, please go to the website jamescook.pl, enter your information, and we'll give you more information about how we might be able to help you. I don't really like the, the business model. There's a podcast I sometimes listen to called Manage, Manager Tools or Management Tools. We'll put a link in the show notes. And they have a podcast, and it's a couple of experienced American corporate executives who then have a, a payable product for 100, 200 bucks a year. So it's pretty good value for money where there are extra sort of like worksheets, and it's all about how to run a, how to work in a large organization. So how to organize meetings, how to, how to organize events, how to give a one-on-one, how to give feedback, really practical advice. But then they have events and camps and corporate packages where if a human resources department or training department wants to like deliver this across the board. So they have different levels. But what I don't know and I think would be incredibly valuable for people doing or wanting to do this kind of business is any kind of benchmarking. I don't know the relationship between the number of people listening to the podcast, signing up to the newspaper, the number of people, newsletter, the number of people who convert to the, the 200 bucks a year. Because the 200 bucks a year is cheap enough if you're an executive. You probably own that a day because um, they're 50. In fact, the uh, $200 bucks is a, you know, for a guy on $50,000 a year, that's, uh, that's their day's salary, approximately. So a day, if it's improving your performance at work, it's a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer. It's, you should easily do that. But, but then, you know, with the people who've agreed to pay that as an individual, they might want it for their colleagues. And then it's, hang on a moment, I don't want to break the licensing <laughs> for my individual non-corporate, non-corporate use um, uh, because it might actually... Uh, Disrupt, you know, I might get into trouble. But I, I think the the amount of money you were spending on marketing. Could you give anything like in your like what were the metrics between the number of people listening to the podcast, the number of people signing up, the number of people clicking on links on Facebook? Because you did a lot of Facebook marketing, and I think some listeners would be really interested to know about your experience with that. Well, I, I actually spent um, to get 1.5 million in revenue. We spent uh, about 300 thousand dollars on on digital ads, which to to buy a dollar to get five um, is not bad. I actually depending on the Margin the, the, depending depending on the margin of the product, however, what I what I realized and learned in all of that towards the end, we were spending about a dollar to get ten. Um, so we had really learned um, how to get how to get those costs down. Um, but you know, our we had one hundred twenty thousand listeners on our podcast. I think about one third to one half of the two hundred plus customers that I had at my camps had listened to the podcast. So you. Can take uh, one one hundred probably out of a hundred thousand downloads, and a lot of those are repeat downloads. So probably have. 
20,000, 30,000 podcast listeners consistent. Uh, we also had an email list of about 30 to 40,000. Was that self-assembled, organic growth, or did you buy that? You... Uh, the, the email list was mainly bought because we were basically buying leads. We were basically buying leads off of uh, Facebook, uh, running ads for the camps with the gold medalists and the top coaches. Uh, people would, would leave their email to get their information on that and then sign up and interview and, and we would put them through our sales process. So um, a lot of the leads were organic, but I would say a good majority of them are, were purchased uh, through through paid media. So um, I, think, uh, I think that, you know, my experience in media buying and filling an event and setting up a sales system uh, to fill an event was was very um, educational and, and, yeah, definitely something if I had to do it all over again, I could start out um, probably profitable pretty quickly. Um, but, you know, it took a lot of work to get uh, these events set up and build the relationships with the people. And, and definitely not in the world of triathlon could I run one of these uh, uh, in the very near future. Um, probably could consult with someone doing it. But um, uh, the principles applied in any industry. Actually, you're speaking of a business consultant. I did the same kind of thing uh, in the business personal productivity space for an author, and I think we did uh, $400,000 in revenue for him doing an event, doing a high-end coaching group, um, and doing some some uh, video course sales for him. So I do know the model works and not just triathlon. Yeah, uh, and, and for anyone out there listening, I mean, I, I know Sam pretty well, and he's a very pragmatic pragmatic guy, that if you've got, if you've got the you've got the mailing list, you've got the niche interest, you've got you've got some product, but you just are feeling you don't feel feel your way through, how could you spend thirty thousand bucks on <laughs> Facebook ads and you've got enough money to, to put an event together, then I'm sure that there would be some deal where, you know, Sam would put in the work and take a take a share of the profit in a way that would be win provided it worked, it'd be win win. If it screwed up <laughs> you'd, you'd 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 regret having done that deal because I don't think you'll be putting money in right now. But um, but anyway, it's just it's always good to look out look out in business and in life for people who know stuff that you don't. People who, not just in theory, but the as you say, where the where the rubber hits the road, where um, and there are a number of less <laughs> less polite ways. I was going to say when the shit hits the road. That's, <laughs> that's not what I meant. The, but the point is, people who've got real world experience are always always worth talking to. Even you could, I'm sure that you could have a, a half hour, hour long chat with Sam and discuss, you know, his experience and whether it was relevant relevant to what you're doing, right? Yeah, and and thanks for the 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 plug, Richard, on the consulting. I I, yeah, I call myself uh, Mr. Five Percent. <laughs> I'm 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 happy to help out. Uh, anyone who's listening to this would like to have a conversation. I'd be happy to talk to them. I mean, basically, what you're what you're saying, and the, the problem I'm trying to solve for people is if you if you're an author, uh, a thought leader, a speaker who has great ideas, uh, most of them do not monetize that knowledge nearly as well as they could. I've got experience doing that for people in the triathlon industry and other places, and and that's what I'm passionate. That's the the problem uh, that I'm solving, um, and. Uh, you know that that's that's what I'm. You know, publishing is my is my industry that I'm in, and, and passionate about moving on to the next idea that I have for solving that. And a big chunk of the cost is venue, right? So if you've got if there's anyone listening who's got a venue, like you've got a you've got a hotel, or you've got a you're you're, a, you're involved in an organization like a university where you can like get a venue at relatively good value for money, um, then then that's worth noting because you know bring the venue in. 
can can take a big chunk of the cost out. You know, but it, the idea of hiring the most famous people in the world in whatever your topic is, whether it's you know whether it's archery or so, maybe soccer is a bad example because top soccer guys and top <laughs> top golf guys. But in most things like scuba diving, I don't think that the the world's best scuba diver is is like a six figure fee guy for speaking. Probably he probably would he or she would be really happy to hang out with people who are crazy about scuba diving as well. So if you do it right, like as with Ted, you know Ted Ted and TEDx, we don't pay speakers. We can, in some circumstances, refund costs, but people like the attention and they appreciate being in an environment where they can spread their ideas. Well, one of the, the next, I was going to ask about how this was emotionally, um, Sam, because I remember when a business of mine failed, I had this feeling that everyone thought that I was making a fortune and everyone thought that I was um, a <laughs> bad guy, that people weren't getting paid, the government tax bill, the vendors, yet yeah, everyone, the, the national insurance, so the, the social insurance charge, all these people who felt that it was me who had done something wrong and I was the leader so in a sense I was but I was the guy who was losing the most money <laughs> I, wonder, I wondered whether you've got any any comments about how you, how, how you felt how you feel now how you felt a few weeks ago and, and how you've dealt with that because you, you've had some knocks in your life this isn't the only one right? <laughs> well yeah Richard what, the, the first thing is um, this really is hard and um, I've got experience with hard things so um I don't want to minimize uh, at all and, and, and try and, you know, say it's not been hard. Anyone who says, oh, failing's fun and fail fast is fail often, it, it says it in a casual way. I, I look at them and say, have you truly failed or, you know, what are you talking about? Because, um, yeah, I mean... I've actually been through um, two very hard situations. The first one is my United States business, which is, is going to go into bankruptcy proceedings. And then um, here in Poland, my U.S. business owes Poland, which uh, obviously won't pay Poland, my Polish company. And um, I'm dealing with uh, here the same kind of uh, problems of failure, although I'm not in bankruptcy in Poland and, and don't have plans to because I want to uh, keep keep this company going and and rebuild out of Poland. And I'll, there's a couple thing, couple observations. I was working through in my head for the last month and a half how to unwind the business and all the people that would be disappointed by it and all the hard, hard conversations that I thought I would have to have with people. Um, and it was a bit overwhelming. And, and it took me a while to work through, well, what's the worst thing that can happen? Um, and I was listening to a podcast about negative visualization where you look at what's the worst thing that can happen. Um, and, and you put that out and then you, you tell yourself, well, what would happen to me when that happens? And that, that podcast was really, really helpful to me because uh, the whole last month and a half I looked at what I was going through as um, how do I frame this positively because I knew I had a good sense that the odds were against me although I was trying to the bitter end to make it work um, but I, I just had the following attitude I'm learning a lot. I'm getting an MBA in about a month and a half and all kinds of stuff that I wouldn't have learned, which is fundraising and meeting with venture capitalists in Silicon Valley in New York City. And um, a lot of people who are good friends of mine really stepped up to help me out and support me during this. A uh, very good dear friend of mine, Rich Barrett, uh, in New York City came in and, and basically showed me how to raise money. He actually was interested in putting money in, but only would have put in money if I raised a substantial amount from other people. Um, but just seeing how he thought through things as an investor and what he advised me was amazing. But 
Um, at the end of the day, knowing that it probably wasn't going to work out and stealing myself for it and having, you know, the, the perspective that, you know, at the end of the day, um, it's just a business, it's just money. And although that's very emotional and painful for people, um, it's not, you know, I still have my health and no one's died. And, uh, in my background, um, I've been in the military and, and been in combat situations where the stakes of failure were much higher. And I've seen the consequences of that. And, uh, so I always had that, I guess your brain's like a muscle a little bit or your emotions are, you have an emotional muscle. And if they've been stretched, um, sometimes if you've been through adversity, uh, on a larger level, it's easy to put business in perspective, but all of that aside, even though I felt like I was very emotionally prepared for failure, um, when it finally happened, um, I was a little bit at a loss for what to do the other day. <laughs> um, I've been sleeping a lot. I've realized how tired I probably am from the last two years of constant stress, three years of running the business with, with never an emotional break. Um, and some of the great advice I've gotten from people in the community, and the Krakow community has been very supportive. The, the people, Ella Made and Seth Bann and her husband, uh, said to me, hey, make sure you're taking care of yourself. Uh, don't go into a new startup right away, just like when you break up with someone. <laughs> don't, don't jump straight out of one startup into another. And, um, you know, take take a, about a week to decompress somewhere and shut off your phone and shut off everything. And so I've gotten some great advice, and I've got a, a game plan uh, for going forward. But it, it's been hard. It, and given all the things I've been through in life, it's still been really, really hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember, I mean, I... I grew up in an environment where people, it was always assumed that everyone should either be successful and talk about it, or if they weren't successful, they didn't talk about it. It wasn't like, it was more an unconscious assumption that, you know, what really mattered was to succeed, and there was no concept then of failure being a valuable learning experience. Um, it's not nice to fail, it's not cool to fail, but I remember when I got, when I got divorced, it was a dark time in my life, it, it was my decision, but it was... I was a huge stress, and that was a time when I, I, you could call it a midlife crisis, although it's perhaps a bit young to be calling it a midlife crisis, but sometimes the, the, the positive side of a really bad experience is it puts everything else into perspective. And like this, uh, you know, when you see these harrowing uh, pictures of refugees risking life and limb to get to Europe, where even when they get to Europe, they have a very, very uncertain future, you think, well, probably, you know, if I've got food in my belly and I've got somewhere warm to sleep, then, <laughs> then I, and I'm healthy, I, I, I shouldn't be complaining. The closing message of our TEDx Cashmere uh, uh, um, speaker, Professor Wojciech Naremski, who was 90 years old when he gave the talk, um, was that if you're lucky enough to have your, your life, your freedom and your family, you should do something worthwhile with your life. And you never know where you're going to go from where you are now. It's just entirely in your hands. So I, I, I'm glad that you've got that um, that framework of like rebooting and restarting and you haven't like been driven to drink or drugs or despair. <laughs> Maybe you have, but if, if, if you have, it's not showing. Well, no, actually, I've, I've been sleeping a lot and I've actually been healthier and probably less um, self-destructive than 
probably when I was in the business in terms of um, just sleeping and taking better care of myself. <laughs> fewer drugs. <laughs> well, well, yeah, I mean, like I say, fewer sleepless nights, fewer stress relief mechanisms, whatever those are, and, and, and things like that. And, um, you know, Richard, one of the things that worried me um, – about this was I'd come into Krakow, we started Project Kazimierz and looked like my business was doing well. And one of the things I think looking back, I didn't cut staff was because I, I was a little bit prideful and didn't want to cut staff. I thought it would be bad, bad looking to do so. And, I, and, and one of the things when I was gone, I was getting a lot of support from key people while I was gone um, in my company staff, Eva Vysotska and Kuba Sozlady, the her, her boyfriend, were incredibly uh, supportive. Marius Troyak, who we interviewed earlier, and I was just really kind of blown away by the the support of, of some key people here on, on my staff and in Krakow. And, and there were some other people who were pretty upset and weren't, weren't so supportive. But um, Kuba, I remember he called me up one day. He said, you should email everyone in Krakow and let them know what's going on. I'm, I'm concerned that some people are are uh, going to put out what's going on in their own words, and I, I think you should do it. And, and I sent out a simple email to everyone saying, hey, here's what's going on. Um, and when I sent out that email, I, it was a big release in that just, just being open and letting everyone in the, know in the community I was in trouble and to ask for their support and their thoughts and prayers or however they chose to, to send out support to me. And the response I got from that was really amazing. And um, the other thing that Kuba told me was, hey, a lot of people don't think you're going to come back to Krakow. They think you're going to ditch your business and not come back and not pay anyone back that you owe. And um, I wanted to put that one to rest also in the email. And um, at that point, I just decided, I said, look, if I don't make it, uh, I think one of the best things I can do for the community, because uh, this is such a great startup community and it's been so good to me, is, is just let them see me you know, n not this invincible American, but someone who failed and, and be okay with that in my own skin uh, and try and help other people avoid that. But, but maybe even if they go through it, help them through it just as a, someone who's been public about it and, and has been speaking about it and has been open to, uh, to help people. So one of the things I've resolved to do now that I'm back and have some more time is, and we'll put out some announcements of this, is, is just do some classes for people in, in the hub realm you know, and, and crack out community, anyone who wants to show up and, and go over some business lessons, to, just an informal business school, and, and we'll see if uh, people are interested and if it's helpful to people, so. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, when, when, when you've had a major failure, it can, it can be, it takes quite a bit of guts to come back and face-to-face -face people, and obviously, obviously different people have different ways, and, you know, particularly when people haven't been paid, that's, <laughs> that, 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 you know, one, one thing that Sam did, and his, this advice he got from Jakob Shalato was very, very, very good, which is, like, if there are rumors flying around, or there's anything not good in your situation, it's much better if you deliver the message, because then you can control the timing, the way. Um, so if anything's going wrong in your life, I always say, like, in sales, they say, get the objection in first. You're a startup, you say, we know we haven't got five years of experience. Like, they hear it from you, they may think that, but if they hear it from you, they feel you're in control of you, the objections. Um, there's just a couple of other things, because we're coming, coming, towards, coming towards the end of the time I've got. I've got a workshop. Uh, uh, TEDx Kashmir speaker researcher thing. Well, a couple of lessons to learn. Um, one is that I was I was listening to 
Sam, and just reminded of a, of a, of a book by, uh, called so, so Good They Can't Ignore You, recommended by uh, Derek Sivers. It's by Carl Newport, Newport, which just says that you don't necessarily follow your passion. You can't always afford to follow your passion, but if you're really good at something, if you're really good at something, then you will have some kind of leverage. And sometimes it's being good at one thing can give you the, the capital and the resources to start doing the things you care about. Or, you know, in, in my case, I've got some businesses that pay my bills, which gives me some time and capability to take on some of the non-profit the non-profit things. As I said in an interview recently, I, I hate the phrase giving back because giving back implies I took something away. And I don't think I, did, I, don't think I took anything away. I, the, the, I paid my taxes. I, I paid paid salaries and so on. So one one thing is, you know, even while you're looking for your looking for your purpose in life, make sure you've got a skill. And um, and yeah, so w w just in a few sort of closing closing remarks, we've got Sam. He's back in town. He's ready to ready to do workshops, support people. So re reach out to him. Um, what else do we want? We want speakers, we want interviewees. What else do we want, Sam? Yeah, we want speakers, interviewees. Um, you know, what, what I'm gonna be doing is, is not jump, I already know what I wanna do next for a startup, but I'm gonna resist the urge to start it until I've got a bit of a more solid ground. I've cleaned up some bills and things that I owe people. Uh, and, um, and also just taking a little bit of time to rebalance. I mean, uh, you might not realize it when you're in it, but, but uh, running a startup is exhausting and it, it's, it's hard on your health if, if you don't take care of yourself. And, and I certainly haven't taken care of myself for the last two years uh, running this startup. Um, you know, the, the old saying that, uh, uh, you know, entrepreneurs spend their youth and health to, to gain a fortune. And then once they have the fortune, they spend their fortune getting their youth and health back. Well, that's if you make the fortune. If you don't, you're really in trouble. So um, just... And, and the, de the deal money for money in exchange for youth is not, is not that well supported by the science. Exactly. It's, it's a lot harder to buy your youth back than it is to, to earn the money uh, that you think you need. Um, so, you know, I think, I think just... Um, taking some time to reflect to really get over the emotional trauma of shutting down a business and 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 the you know what's hard for me not necessarily is all the money I've lost but just the feeling of having let other people down I I hate to let people down and um, that's the hardest thing for me getting through and and making right uh, not just financially with people that feel let down but just Emotionally, uh, re-establishing re the connection is 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 something uh, that I view as important. And then, um, you know, finally, I came back to Krakow, and I, I like to joke with my my employees that I came back to speak to my former employees and say, you know, well, actually, it isn't a joke. It would have been very easy to start over in the United States because um, the reaction from people in the United States is much more forgiving and understanding. There's a less of a stigma towards failure and these types of things in the U.S. than there is in Krakow from what I'm experiencing right now. Uh, plus, uh, I'm not gone bankrupt in Poland. I have some bills to pay. Um, but given all of those things, um, easier to start over potentially in the United States financially due to the, the situation uh, being at zero there um, and the stigma of failure not being there. All things considered, I still view Krakow as the best place for me to start over. I think it's bar none 
the the best business community that I've seen in my travels. Um, I've had an incredible amount of support from my network here. I, f I feel at home here. I feel like I have a family, a business uh, startup community family that I can draw on and quickly, quickly rebuild, uh, financially get healthy, um, and when I do get back to zero, a much better place to start a business than anywhere else in the world. Yes, well, that's a very nice close. And one thing we haven't done until now, but listening to other po podcasts, there are often little like partnership uh, sponsorship spots. Um, probably we're not in a position where we want to take money in return for sponsorship at the moment. There might be legal issues because we don't have a legal entity. But if there are people listening to this who are doing something that is like in line with our values and our spirit, and you're ready to record a, I don't know, a 45-second, one-minute-long spot that we could stitch into our episode as a, a pre-middle or end of episode uh, little spot, that's something that we might well be ready to consider. Obviously, we might expect a, a barter deal that you link back to us in your in your blog or your community, but in the TEDx Kashmir events, we always have a slot for, for like open mic community announcements. And Sam, uh, would you agree that if someone's ready to put a little bit of resources into recording good quality content, content we could stitch it into our podcast from time to time? I, th I think it would be interesting to have uh, uh, some community service announcements. Exactly. Um, if it serves the community, we could we could get those announcements in. Uh, if people want to actually advertise uh, something more, then we could we'll probably be looking at taking on sponsors of the show for for something, probably money or yeah. or maybe some money, other money service. Money works extremely well. This is extremely <laughs> old-fashioned deal. Money in return for something. And, you know, we're, we're both in business, so so you know, one of the deals that we're ready to consider is money in return for a slot or sponsorship but also if you just support our objectives certainly that would be that would be uh, welcome and you know we're, we're not running this as a as a business we're running it as a community service but community projects community announcements people doing things that we approve of yeah and, and you know Sam and I we've got the contacts with the sound engineers and you might need to put a fuse warty in, in it to help the engineers make it really professional if you can't do it yourself but the main thing is just the offer is out there if you're interested and uh, I, I now have to wrap in the next 30 seconds, so I'll ask Sam to close the episode. Well, thanks again, Richard, for uh, uh, joining me. It's great to start a new season. I'm very happy to be back in Krakow. I'm more excited than ever uh, to be here, uh, to be starting another episode of Project Kashmir. And, uh, you know, just going over, I think, an important topic that I hope will be helpful to other people if you're listening to this. Um, you know, maybe it will help you if you're in the situation where you think closing down a business might be the right answer, but you're scared to do it. I'm happy to talk to you just email me, sam at projectkajimish.com. Uh, and uh, maybe if, or if you shut down a business and want to share some experiences with me and some advice, I'd love to hear it also. Um, and finally, any comments you have would be welcome. Thanks again for listening and joining us in our uh, next season of Project Kajimish. Yes, we'll see you on the flip side. Thanks for listening to another episode of season two of Project Kajimish. To listen to our Season 1 episodes or past Season 2 episodes, just subscribe to us on iTunes and your next episode will be delivered to your phone in your sleep. If you're an iPhone user, go to the iTunes to sign up. And if you're an Android listener, you can subscribe via Stitcher Radio or other popular podcasting apps. Go to our website to download the show notes from today's show where you can get any links mentioned on the show, the transcript, and sign up for our weekly newsletter. I would also encourage you to watch the mini documentary on our homepage about Project Kazimierz, the startup scene in Krakow and Poland. Also, like our Facebook page to get other news we find useful for the startup community. So visit our website, projectkazimierz.com. That is spelled Project, 
K-A-Z-I-M-I-E-R-Z.com, or just type it into Google, and we will find it. Today's show was produced by Anya Bivanis Kitchen, email and show notes by James Matheson, transcription by Svetin Dimov, and sound editing by Michal Paduk. And finally, the music on this podcast is written by two young local Polish composers, Marek Iweskiewicz and Michal Zielokowski. After you hear from our show sponsors, we have a nice musical postlude to the show featuring the rest of their work, as well as some of our best insights from our guests during episode one of Project Kazimierz. This episode is brought to you by James Cook Media. I founded James Cook Media when I moved to Poland. James Cook Media is a full-service digital marketing and sales agency. Our mission is to bring world-class products to the global English-speaking market. The thing that I've noticed in Poland is how many amazing, talented companies there are building great products, and they're struggling to get traction in the international English-speaking market. I think that's a shame, and I want to help these companies get their products to the market. Silicon Valley parlance, you would call us growth hackers. My team of specialists that I've trained from the beginning here in Poland builds from scratch custom marketing funnels. This includes ideal customer visualization and profiling, complete branding, visual identity, videos, music, uh, website and landing page copywriting, landing page and website design, marketing video commercials, sales videos, testimonial videos, as well as custom written music, podcast productions like this one, content marketing, search engine optimization, website optimization, and paid media traffic, campaign design, management, as well as optimization, including Facebook ads, Google ads, YouTube ads, LinkedIn ads, Pinterest ads, and Instagram ads. So that's a lot. But I've been doing marketing online now for over 10 years in multiple industries from e-commerce to tourism to software as a service, digital publishing, money transfer apps, and online sports marketing. Over the course of this time, I founded two separate companies as well as worked for loads of clients all over the world. And I had to learn every part of online marketing. I came to Poland to build my own in-house marketing team for my last business. And I'll tell you that the talent here is absolutely world-class, as good as any marketing talent you would find in New York City. I personally design my campaigns, write the copy, direct the videos, do the setup with the project manager, and a full-time team of specialists of designers, developers, ad managers, and optimizers to fully manage from start to finish your marketing. So you can focus on your product and your business. If you think you'd like to learn more about my company and what we may be able to do for you, go to jamescook.pl and enter your information. You will also find information about meetups that I'm running with Ava Vysotska of Good Tribe Consulting, where you can learn all about the latest in marketing strategy and techniques. Even when I work with clients, I make sure that they completely understand my marketing philosophy and strategy so that they can have buy-in and ownership of it. Because as a business owner, you always need to completely own your strategy for getting your product to market. But we help you do it. If you're a startup or an investor from outside of Poland and you're interested in visiting Krakow Warsaw's startup scene in Poland or even moving here to set up your team, James Cook Media also offers high-level concierge services to help companies get set up here. I moved to Poland because I believe East is the new West. For 400 years, brave, intrepid entrepreneurs have been going West to the U.S. and the American West for prospecting. Now San Francisco and California is so overpriced and so expensive. The new digital gold rush, as I call it, where you can get the most value for your money in terms of investment is here in Eastern Europe, where you have world-class engineering talent, designers, video makers, artists, graphic artists, and marketers. You can do New York City agency or San Francisco level coding work for a very competitive price. If you're interested to learn more, please go to the website jamescook.pl 
enter your information, and we'll give you more information about how we might be able to help you. You know, vision is all great and well, but execution is actually the key. The actual process of meeting those people, working with them, is in itself a huge reward. Interaction between the university and the business high-tech community is absolutely fundamental. Diversity creates a healthy ecosystem, and I think that I'm seeing more and more that diversity. It's not just about individuals, but it's about new individuals, it's about, you know, um, new initiatives. Sometimes they overlap with each other, sometimes they might be cannibalizing each other, but the reality is that you want to have as many as possible, because that accelerates the big picture. We're not going to have everyone in the world here, and in this connected world, we don't need everyone here, but, but the, the, you know, the artists and the designers, the creatives, they're very much part of what, we, what we've got and what we need. So if you're listening again somewhere else in the world and you feel you, you're looking for a place where your, your, your creative juices will run, then, then, then this city is certainly a place where you can find yourself. And I think you can make history in Poland. I think you can be part of something much bigger than you could be a part of in the United States right now. Not just from a, you know, going out to San Francisco to make Silicon Valley richer, but, but making a new part of the world um, grow at a much faster rate, be a much bigger part of that community, and, and making it wealthy, not just for wealth's sake, but for uh, a purpose, which is to make that country's government stronger.